0: The magic thing about spelling that has helped so many people is the self-test, self-correct, self-paced approach.
1: Hello, and welcome to the Arts of Language podcast with Andrew Poudois. Andrew, I'm going to confess something, not to you, because you already know this.
0: Uh, to our beloved listeners who to our beloved don't listen- know this.
1: Yes. I'm a terrible speller. Hmm. I don't know what day I missed in kindergarten or first grade, <laughs> but it just not, does not click for me. And my boys, when I was homeschooling them, or my kids when I was a school teacher, of course, I taught first and second grade. So that level of spelling is pretty easy. But I've never been a great speller. And can you help me?
0: I doubt it. (laughs) I mean, given your age. (laughs) Wait a minute. (laughs) Well, yeah, there does seem to be this phenomenon of people who learn to spell relatively effortlessly. Mm -hmm. And other people who do everything and still don't feel like they have mastered spelling. And... There could be so many factors involved. Uh, one of the interesting things I've observed is that we would assume that reading and spelling are somehow connected. Mm-hmm. And they are. But not in that good reader's necessarily become good spellers.
1: Well, and I know that's true. I started reading at four years old. My dad taught me how to read even before he we went to kindergarten. I was so bored in kindergarten, I memorized the alphabet backwards.
0: So I know that's true. I can read very well. Yes. <laughs> but I still get stuck with spelling. And and I th- was wondering about this for quite a while, and then I I noticed, kind of just observing my own children... One of those children who was definitely on the slower to read end, mm-hmm. like not really reading independently till about eight years old. Uh, she was not the slowest of mm-hmm. all my slow to read children, but <laughs> but I observed her. I noticed that she could spell very well. Hmm. She became kind of like one of those natural spellers. Of hmm. course, I, I got her at the time when I had just started the spelling program, Mm. the phonetic zoo program. Mm -hmm. And so she started using that right around that same age of eight or nine. Mm -hmm. But what I noticed about her is she spent years still looking at letters to figure out what words were. Mm -hmm. It's just part of the magnificence of diversity in human neurology. Mm -hmm. But I think the, the magic thing about spelling... has helped so many people is really what I learned from from Mrs. Ingham and and her daughter Shirley George about the self-test, self-correct, self-paced approach that mirrors in a way how children used to learn spelling Hmm. before there were consumable workbooks and mm-hmm. worksheets before there were even ditto's oh. <laughs> right and so now we have a, an abundance of paper it's cheap it's readily available we imagine it to be very efficient but we haven't necessarily improved the way we've been teaching spelling because of it for for most kids right you know some so we go all the way back to that whole spelling bee approach. And you read books like uh, Laddie Mm -hmm. by Gene Stratton Porter, Penrod Mm -hmm. by Booth Tarkington, probably, I don't remember it as well, but some of Anne of Green Gables. You go back to the 1800s and you get these little vignettes of how kids were learning to spell. Mm -hmm. And back then there were kids who learned easily and ones who didn't. But there was a drill method that was primarily auditory and verbal. And so kids would get a spelling list. They would practice saying the words out loud to learn to spell them mm-hmm. because they didn't have a lot of paper to waste. Mm, right. And that was also more efficient than using slates or chalkboards Uh, because you could do it anywhere at any time. It's faster to say letters than to write them, especially when you're a young child. Mm -hmm. And so this method of verbal practice of spelling was, I think, almost universal and then gradually began to die out in the mid to late 1900s mm-hmm. to the point where now, of course, even paper is archaic and your spelling should be all learned on a screen.
1: Yes, and if students were to verbally practice their spelling words in a classroom, that would not be orderly, would it? And we need to...
0: Well, it wouldn't be orderly if everyone were doing it at the same time. <laughs> uh, but there, there would be ways to, mm-hmm. to coach kids to yeah. set it up. Yeah. And uh, again, you know, going back to Dr. Webster, he explained to me how he ran his one-room schoolhouse Mm -hmm. in rural Saskatchewan, right? It it was like the last year of World War II, Mm. right? So back 45, I guess, 44. Mm. And so he was a very young teacher and all of the students knew what to do. So, they all had their little spelling book for each grade level, and they would pair up. And so, a, a third grade student would go to maybe a fifth grade student, or as in Canada, they would say grade three, grade five student. And the grade five student would test the grade three student verbally. Mm-hmm. By saying the word on the list, the grade three student would then try to spell it. The grade five student would say, Yeah, you got it, or No, it's spelled this way, and spell it out loud, and then have the student repeat it. Mm-hmm. And so, most all of the practice was done off the paper. Right. It was done in the air with the ear and the mouth. And then, once that student believed that he or she knew all those words, mm-hmm. then uh, the student would take the test. Mm-hmm and pass the test, go to the next list. Not pass the test, keep practicing. Right. So, you had a one-room schoolhouse with 40 kids aged 6 to 16. Everyone's basically learning a different list of words at the same time and and each one could make progress as they were able through mastery. But it was all, as he described it to me, it was all this kind of partner drill practice Mm -hmm, that mm -hmm. I don't think we see much of in schools today anymore. Sure, sure.
1: And this idea of taking the test and having to redo it if you don't get 100%, why does that sound really familiar to
0: me? (laughs) Well, I don't know if in Webster's day you had to get 100%. Mm, I see. But as we put the spelling to program together, we both kind of realized that it doesn't do anyone any good to say, yeah, I got 80% and move on to the next list. Right, right. So there's this idea of mastery, like, I will practice this until I know all of it.
1: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
0: And, and you know, I love making analogies to music and other arts, but it, it'd be kind of like saying... I know this piece of music, but that hardest three measures, I'm not going to bother with that. Well, what kind of benefit would that be? Right. Uh, you'd go through your pieces faster, but you'd have all <laughs> these ridiculous holes in your knowledge that would come out and be very frustrating. Mm-hmm. Right. So when we put this together, it was, no, let's do it 100% twice in a row. And that means that people are going to go through these lists at different speeds. Right. Someone may need a repetition of five practices and bam, they've got it, they can spell all the words, go to the next list. Right. Another person may need 50 repetitions. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, how do you deal with that in the classroom? Well, I know that uh, Shirley George, teaching grade 2 in Canada, actually made recordings for all of her students. For each of the spelling lists that were on the grade two curriculum for the year. Right. And the children would go and have headphones and get this real to real tape players. Wow. <laughs> That's how old yes. these people are. <laughs> Many of our millennial listeners barely remember cassette tapes and yes. Real to real doesn't mean anything to them. Just Google it; you'll find it. <laughs> uh, but this idea uh, that the children would have workstations, which mm-hmm. is a big thing in Mrs. Ingham's classroom management, mm-hmm. was to get everybody working independently on something, mm-hmm. and then she could work with one or two or three students in small groups while right. everybody else was productive, busy, and that spelling—they uh, were—they'd get like two or three spelling stations, and then all the children could rotate through. And of course it didn't take very long, maybe 10 minutes. Probably getting the tape in the reel and keeping it there and rewinding it was the big logistical <laughs> challenge until <laughs> the great blessing of cassette tapes right. came along. Right. So that's really what we tried to replicate when mm-hmm. uh, when Burton and I put together the Phonetic Zoo Burton program,
1: Doctor James Burton Webster, yes. right? <laughs> and we don't sell those on reel to reel.
0: No, uh, actually, they they're still available on DVDs for people living in the last century. <laughs> uh, but they are available with an MP3, yeah. and and that's easier for yes. a, a lot of people. Mm-hmm. And it's just amazing, I you know, how successful it's been for a particular kind of large segment of kids yeah. who are not learning to spell by using a paper-based practice approach.
1: Right, right. Well, and you talk in your talk, Spelling in the Brain, which we'll link in the show notes, about this idea of words when you see them, the letters come in scrambled.
0: Right. If they come in scrambled, mm-hmm. um, which is the, you know, the mildly dyslexic or very dyslexic, it, it's a high chance they're going to come out scrambled. Right and then the difference between visual input, which is simultaneous. If you look at a word, you're gonna see all the letters at the same time whether you want to or not. Exactly. Whereas if you hear a word being spelled, you have to hear it one letter at a time. So visual input is simultaneous, global, spatial by nature. Mm -hmm. Auditory input is sequential and more discrete by nature, Mm -hmm. so since spelling is a sequential activity, if you write a word you have to get them all out in the right order or it's wrong, for many children this auditory input practice method is superior.
1: Right, right, and just another little benefit of the phonetic zoo, which is of course the program we're talking about that we sell here, is a lot of it can be done independently, so like you described in the classroom, Whether you're a classroom teacher or a homeschooling parent, the students learn how to basically teach themselves the spelling program. They're correcting their own test. They're deciding whether or not they're ready to move on 100 percent twice in a row. And it's it's just great to have that.
0: Well, and, you know, for a a classroom, it takes a little logistics to Mm -hmm. set this up. Uh, In a hybrid school situation, it's almost perfect because, you know, they could practice at home uh, as much as needed Mm -hmm. and then kind of record the progress and even take a formal, you know, exam-like test in the classroom if needed. And then for the mom with several children of different ages, that's really ideal because that buys you 10, 15 minutes of time (laughs) with one or two kids (laughs) doing spelling. And it, everyone's on a on a pathway. Mm-hmm. They may be on a different a different lesson or a different time through that lesson. Mm-hmm. And you really don't have much to do except be sure that they're operating the devices correctly and self-correcting and not like cheating or something. Uh, So it has really been a boon Mm -hmm. to many homeschool families.
1: Right. And, and listener, if you are just having a difficult time figuring out what we're talking about, we do have free samples of our spelling program. It's at IEW.com slash spelling. And you can download some of the MP3s, listen to how... Andrew and Dr. Webster, give your students the spelling words, some of the resources that go with it, and you can just try it out and see if this is something that works for you. Andrew, you often say, if what you're using right now is working, don't change it. But if it's not working and you're wondering, and you don't want your kids to grow up to be like me who can't spell, (laughs) maybe the phonetic zoo might be something that you want to look into.
0: Well, and we we know there's kids who are very motivated Mm -hmm. and we also know there's kids who really don't care that much Mm -hmm. and we talked in a different episode about the fix-it grammar yeah and how it's really more of a game Mm -hmm. than this thing you have to learn and be tested on right this is the same way it's really more like a game and when the kids can do it on their own and see progress, hey, I got, you know, 14 right out of 20. Well, that's, that's great. And then the next day they get 16 right out of 20. And then the next day they get 19 right out of 20. They're so getting close. closer yeah. and closer. And the repetition that's built into that mm-hmm. is good. You know, a lot of people say, well, why do they have to write the word if they already proved they knew it? Well, part of spelling is knowing how to spell the word.
1: <laughs> I would think so, yes. Right? Yeah.
0: But another part is being able to do it without having to figure it out mm. and take time. Right. I always joke with people and say, if you can spell the word receivable right now without hesitation, it's not because you're so smart and it's not because you know all the rules. It's because you have done this enough times in your life that you don't need the rules anymore. Right. You know, and you know that you know it. I do know that word. <laughs> I'm glad. Well, you're an MBA. You should know all <laughs> sorts of financially oriented terms. <laughs> I suppose. But but there is that that mastery that comes with repetition mm-hmm. that is beyond just knowing something. Right. And again, I, I remember Dr. Suzuki used to play this game with kids where they would... Play a piece of music, and I did this too with my mm-hmm. students a piece of music that they knew, and then he would try to do all sorts of silly things to distract them mm-hmm. while they were playing the piece of music make mm-hmm. funny faces and mm-hmm. do jokes and pretend that he was gonna, you know, touch them or, you know, things that would take a young child's attention away. This was doing two things. Number one, it was training attention. Mm-hmm. Okay, I won't be distracted by this. I'll keep on what I'm doing. Right. And they realized the more you've played this piece, the more easily you can play it, even in a high-distraction environment. Yep. And so it's kind of like that. The more you've written a word, the more you'll be able to write it without having to figure that out or being distracted. Yep,
1: yep. Any Final closing thoughts about spelling. The value of spelling. Maybe it's been devalued over the years.
0: Well, I think anyone who is pretty competent at spelling as an adult is grateful, mm-hmm. right? And people who aren't are somewhat dissatisfied with that <laughs> aspect of yes. of their education. Mm-hmm. You know, I I do think we continue to learn to spell better our whole life. Mm-hmm. And again, you know, as you start doing more writing, as you perhaps study a language like Latin, Mm -hmm. which is so very closely connected, as you learn more about the structure of language with its phonics side. Right, yes. uh, All of that combines to help with better spelling. Mm -hmm. See, you can continue to improve your whole life but it, there is a point where you just say okay enough is enough you know mm-hmm. i have this spell checker mm-hmm. i don't need to know every obscure word that i might want to use and so we have a little bit more leeway in the modern world than perhaps kids did 50 years ago right. when hey if you didn't know how to spell a word you would either have to look it up in a dictionary Which is ironic because Mm -hmm. you couldn't find it in a dictionary if you didn't already know how to spell it Mm -hmm. or just not use that word. Mm -hmm. So in the past, I think, you know, we've been limited in our written expression by spelling and we don't suffer that today as much. But on the flip side, I think we're much more willing to use a word Mm -hmm. that we can spell without added effort or without seeing, you know, a dreaded red line pop up. (laughs) Yes.
1: (laughs) Yeah, sometimes those red line pops up and you check the spell checker and it says, no replacement found, and I just go, oh my goodness, I'm gonna find a different word then. (laughs) Well, thank you, Andrew. I hope this was helpful to you, listener. I know that I, yet again, will be bemoaning the fact that I was not taught to be a good speller, but look forward to...
0: Well, we have those free lessons online. (laughs) You can give it a shot.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Will do. Thank you, Andrew. Thanks so much for joining us. If you enjoyed this episode and want to hear more, please subscribe to our podcast in iTunes, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, or Spotify, or just visit us each week at IEW.com slash podcasts. Here you can also find show notes and relevant links from today's broadcast. One last thing, would you mind going to iTunes to rate and review our podcast? This really helps other smart, caring listeners like you find us. Thanks so much.